Um, I, I want to bring to you something. Um, today is the final sermon in this sermon series. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, we've been talking about who God is and also who he's not. Uh, the reason why this is so important is because people that are new to the faith and people that are older to the faith, all my older folks in the room are like, I'm not old, but that's like a rite of passage, you know, like it's a rite of passage to get up and have to go, that's beautiful, you know, but we know the same God, but we know him differently. But he's the same God to all of us. So we've been trekking. We've been walking through. Pastor Martin has taught a bunch of different messages that have been super duper kingdom heavy. He's been talking about how the, the principles of the kingdom and how God works is how you're supposed to operate. Um, I had the opportunity to teach on like how God is good and how God is holy. And the point of this sermon series was to introduce to some and reintroduce to others who God actually is. Because if we don't know the difference between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit... We can be asking something from one of them that he doesn't provide and then be frustrated. The biggest thing that we can do in our lives to get frustrated is, guess what? Not share our expectations. If you don't share with somebody what you want from them and then you don't get it, it's a pretty big issue. This thing called marriage, Mr. Jerry, has taught me that. Sometimes my wife wants things that she doesn't tell me, but I'm still responsible to provide. Y'all should have laughed. I know all the men were like, amen. I didn't know that you wanted strawberries on your ice cream. You should have known. I've never seen you put strawberries on your ice cream. But we've been married for so long. I, I, didn't, I didn't know, sweetheart. Well, I bought strawberries last week and they went moldy because I didn't eat them. So that means, so if we don't share our expectations in life, we can misunderstand people's character. And we expect God just to bless our lives, but we don't know him as judge. We don't know him as king. We know, we know him as loving kindness, but we don't know that he is a judge, and he's going to look at your life, and he's going to weigh it from the cost. I want to make sure that you understand this is the final series, because next week, somebody say next week, we begin family series. Super excited, because for the past 25 years, our pastors, Martin and Linnell, they have literally set aside an entire month, and nine times out of ten, this month just like flows over. Because this is a chance for us to teach people, to share with people, not just from the word of God, but from our experience. You're going to see panels. You're going to see people talk to you in conversations where they're going to share with you. Let's talk about divorce. And I can't really talk about that because I've never been there. But somebody that's walked through it and has been restored, like there's a different type of weight that that person brings to the conversation, right? Um, so we want to make sure that you invite your friends, that you invite your family, because we want to make sure that you understand a couple of things. Number one, that church is vital to you building your family. Number two, community is important to building family. You can't build ch great children without a village. But the third thing is that we're looking to create an experience that your friend that doesn't like church, everybody has one, I'm never going to church. Like they walked in and like somebody didn't say hi to them, they church hurt. It's like, really? But we're going to try to make uh, an experience for every single person to come in to hear the word of God, but most importantly for their families to be reintroduced to what God actually wants for them in expectations. Every single one of us in our families, in our lives, with our loved ones, we have an expectation, but God has an expectation for you too. And it's that your family will be free, that it would be whole, that it would be good, and also that it would be finished, filled, and delivered. Can somebody say amen? amen. So if you're ready for the word, clap once. Ready for the word, clap two times. 
I am extremely excited for today. I have taught this message literally like 10 different times. I taught it to my wife. I was in the shower teaching, brushing my teeth. I'm like, man, and this, I mean, I taught it to Pastor Martin. Pastor Martin provoked me and like for like a day and a half, Mr. Roberto, like he like brought scripture and then I brought scripture. Ooh, that's good. Brought scripture. I brought scripture. Man, that's good, but I can't share that. Ooh, brought scripture. And it was just like this seven days of literally being like knee deep in like your favorite Netflix series. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. The one that if your friends had your account and saw what you were watching, you would feel some type of way. You watch that? No, it was the cat. He, he clicked it. And, oh, so it just ran consecutively for two days? Yeah. You know you watch Game of Thrones. It's okay. But as I was teaching this in all of the different um, uh, uh, facets of my life, I taught it to my wife. I taught it to myself in the mirror. I, taught, uh, I talked about it with Pastor, and he taught me. I talked about it with the staff. The Holy Spirit shared something with me today that I'd like to share with you. And it, it, I think it's going to conclude, I think it's going to wrap up this sermon series. Is anybody excited for today? So this is what I need you to promise me. I need you to communicate with me, and I need that expectation. How many of you guys have an expectation in the lower part of your stomach? That's not, indi- that's not indigestion. You don't need no Pepto. That's the Holy Spirit. How many of you got something stirring up on the inside, and you're like, this word today, I don't know what that brother fixing to talk about, but I know this word is for me. Somebody say, this word is for No, you got to do it like this. Say, this word is for me. Do it again, Gertrude. Tap your girdle. Tap your girdle. This word is for me. Let's go right to the word. Isaiah 43, 2 through 3, it says, do not be afraid, for I have what? Ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go, read it with me, when you go through what? I will be with you. We should be able to collect an offering right there. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. It's, it's not a question of if you go through deep waters. The big thing, you're going to go through deep waters. So if you're dealing with stuff right now in your life, like, oh, my God, I can't stand it. We are all, look at your neighbor say, me too. You don't know, Pastor Joshua. You don't have any hard times, bruh. <laughs> Fam. Yes, I do. They might not be on the same level, but the hurt that you have of losing a parent is the same hurt that somebody else has of losing a, losing a child. It's not the same, but it's the, somebody say the same. Yeah, it's the reason why we can lose family members and grieve for three, four days, and people try to rush you out of grieving, but they don't understand that was your baby. Okay, I'm not talking to this. Like, you lost your grandma 25 years ago. You're 70 years old, and you're still dealing with grief. Why? Because Granny Momo, she was, it was different. It was, it was different. But one thing that we don't do well in the church is connect our pain to other people's sorrow. What you're dealing with, in order for you, like, we have to feel... I felt Pastor Martin on my back like this. Sometimes. Somebody say sometimes. Sometimes we can use more energy trying to figure out ways that we are different than other people. So that we can use our pride to cover our story. Well, I went through something and it was so terrible. Instead of looking at how God walked us through something and how he walked somebody else through something and having common unity. Community is about what do we have in common. Instead of looking for what drives us apart. Somebody scream common. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned. The flames will not consume you. Somebody say, the flames will not consume me. Somebody say it with a flat back. The flames will not consume me. This is the part that's dope. You won't be consumed. You're not going to drown because you're cool. 
you're not going to drown because you're saved. You're not going to drown because you're righteous. Your, your, your prayers and living an upright life, that doesn't keep you from drowning. What keeps you from drowning is this next sentence right here. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel. Somebody scream, my Savior. Somebody give God a shout of praise right there. My Savior. My Savior. So when we look at the book of Mark, I see you, sis. When we look at the book of Mark, um, every single book that we look at in the Bible, how many of you guys have ever tried to read the Bible cover to cover? It could be really confusing because of the fact that the Bible is a conglomeration. Say conglomeration. Uh, today's sermon was brought by the word conglomeration. Look it up in your dictionary. Conglomeration basically means that it is a collective of collections. What that means is that each one of the Bible stories, I mean, sorry, each one of the Bible books in the Bible was written by a different person to talk to different people for different reasons. So what can happen is, is that we as people up here, because we have a platform and there's lights and there's hundreds or thousands of people talking to us, we can take what was said to somebody in a different time and take it out of context. Right? You've heard some of those sermons, sermons that say that women can't teach in ministry. Well, Paul said it. Yeah, but the context. How can the word of God say that women can't teach, but then also in Genesis, he says that he made them both equal. So if you don't know the word of God, if you don't ask the text, somebody say ask the text. If you don't look at the scripture and say, what God are you trying to say to me now? You can take certain things out of context. How is it that the word of God says that you should, never, that you should be a lender and not a borrower? And people are upset with the church for teaching prosperity. It's, it's, it's interesting that, you, uh, that we celebrate celebrities buying $1.5 million cars. We celebrate somebody being able to lose $2.5 billion and still be a billionaire. But in the church, if somebody drives on the campus because they're practicing tithing, not saving, not budgeting, but because I give and I'm generous to others, God gives to me, we want to put them on a cross. So if we do not understand the context of the Bible, we can misinterpret what God is trying to get to us. The reason why this is so important, is this good? The reason why this is so important is because when you read the book of the Bible, you can read certain stories in the Bible and get something from it that the writer did not interpret for you. You can read, I've heard so many different sermons. Why did Jesus weep? Because he was sad. Jesus didn't weep because he was sad. Sometimes things in the Bible, this is what my daddy taught me. When the Bible is quiet, you should be too. So people ask me silly questions. Well, why do you think that Peter chopped his ear off? I'm not sure. <gasps> then you're not anointed because I don't know. You don't know. All you parents do that all the time. You're going to take your kids to Thanksgiving. Your child's going to walk up to one of your uncles. Where are your teeth? And you're going to pop him in the mouth. But you don't know why either. You just don't want to be embarrassed. I'm talking to you on Gertrude. Yeah, the one that was tapping her girdle. Yeah, you right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you. We didn't know what we were doing. We're children. But if we don't know the context, we can take things out of proportion and we don't know what it means. The word of God says to do what? Wives, honor your husbands. There's no period there. There's this thing called a comma, which means husbands, you also got to flip that thing over and honor your wives. But if you don't read your Bible, I can tell you anything from up here and you'll believe it. So this is why I need you to bring your skepticism to church today. I, I need you to look at everything that I'm saying as Joshua is lying and that you're going to do your homework and go back to the book to ask God, okay, that's what he said, but what are you saying to me? 
The reason why you ask the text is this. You go to counseling because your marriage is suffering. You don't listen to the counselor to tell you what to do because a lot of these counselors aren't married. This is what I would do in your marriage. Sis, how many um, prenuptials have you ever said? None. So we have to take what somebody says to us and look at your neighbor and say, take it back to God. Sermons are great. Text messages are great. The word of God is awesome, but take it back to God. God, this is what it says, but what does that mean? So the book of Mark is really important because Mark is, is he's a co-worker with Paul and Peter. We know both of them. They're great apostles. Peter is the one that Jesus ends up building his church on. Paul is one of them that he wrote, he writes all of these different letters. And a lot of our church and how it's built is built off of his principles. You know the book of Corinthians? He writes a whole bunch of letters to people at the time. Somebody say, in the time. The context, he says certain things like, you know, don't eat children. He says certain things like, you know, you shouldn't go and bathe in feces, like stuff that like you should know, but some people are really silly. Like if you didn't tell them, you know, to hold their breath when they jump in water, they would not hold their breath, drown, and then blame you. He killed me. What? So these two individuals begin to share stories with Mark, and Mark begins to, just, to transcribe them. So the whole book of Mark is Mark trying to solicit to us why we should trust God through the works of other people. I love the book of Mark because not one time does Mark say, you should trust me. Not once does Mark try to like, get people to trust because of what he's saying. He brings God to the forefront of every conversation and says, trust God. That's the gospel. I had a conversation with somebody a couple of days ago, Kent, and we were talking about people's testimonies. And the word of God says that you will be set free by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. But how many of you guys know that your testimony is not the gospel? Well, sis, this is what I did. I kicked him out. I burned all his stuff. I took his money. It was mine. And then, you know, like, it's like, no. And then we think that when people follow that, that they'll have salvation. But if your testimony doesn't lead back to the black and white on the text of the Bible, it's like, it doesn't mean anything. So Mark doesn't want you to love God because he loves God. He wants you to love God for yourself. And this is the coolest thing. He wants you to come to the conclusion. Somebody say for yourself. So rather, he puts a number of people's reactions to Jesus' works, and he displays them. So when we look at the book of Mark, Mark skips Jesus' beginning of his life. He skips him as a baby. He skips him as a teenager. We just get raw adult Jesus. I mean, he's like, bump all that other stuff. I want the man, right, when he starts his ministry. Almost to say that all that other stuff was a precursor of what his biggest work was going to be. So when we look at the book of Mark, we start in this place called Galilee. How many of you guys have ever heard that name before? Galilee is a place in the Middle East, the northern part of Africa, the southern part of, 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 of Europe. A sub, uh, I'm sorry, a pan, uh, I'm sorry, uh, sub-Saharan. Lord have mercy. So it's in that area where like people's skin is really super dark, it's super hot, and like there's not much water, right? So the way in which they get from place to place is by boat. At this point in time, Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist. How many of us, we know that story? Jesus is in the synagogues. We don't see him for another 18 years. He's now 33, and he starts, he's, um, he's 30, he starts his, his, his ministry. He gets baptized by John the Baptist, and then he starts doing all these different miracles. You know some of them. He heals people. He casts out demons on a Sunday, which is like, oh, my God, God forbid. Then he, uh, he teaches on fasting. He heals leprosy, and he, and he also uh, heals paralysis. But he ends up teaching to the people in parables. Parables are really, really, really simple. Parables are like when you're trying to say something around your kids, but you don't want them to get it, so you spell it out. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, we're going to go to the M-O- V-I-E-S. And your kids are just like playing around, but then your kids get grown. We're going to the movies? Dang. Okay, we can't count. We can't, we can't do that no more. So now you got to do like sign language and stuff like that. Okay. So in this book, in Mark, 
we find Jesus and he's in transition with the 12. He's in the middle of transition. After he does all of these miracles, Jesus is tired. Somebody say tired. Now, a lot of people will say, well, he was the son of God. How could he be tired? He was God made flesh. So he experienced fatigue. Like, why do we make sermons out of silly stuff? He was tired. Like, well, he couldn't have been the son. He was tired, bro. Look at your neighbor. Say, I'd be tired too. Tired, boss. Jesus is tired, and he's in transition. Let's go to Mark 3, 7 through 9. It says, Jesus went out to the lake with who? His disciples. And a large crowd followed him. They came from all over Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Edomia, from east of the Jordan River, and even from the far north of, of Tyre and Sidon. The news about his miracles had spread far and wide, and vast numbers of people came to see him. Look at this. Jesus does what? Jesus instructed his disciples to have a boat ready so the crowd would not crush him. Let's jump down to verse 13. Afterward, Jesus went up on the mountain and called out the ones he wanted to go with him, and they came to him. Then, I want you to underline this. I want you to underline this. Then he appointed 12 of them and called them his what? apostles. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, giving them authorities to cast out demons. We already know who those 12 are, right? Simon, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, uh, Bartholomew. I always forget him in like Christian trivia, and I always lose, so I'm going to remember it now. Matthew, Thomas, uh, James, Thaddeus, I forget him too, Simon, and Judas. So I want to make sure you understand something. They're in transition. They're about to get in a boat, and they're about to go somewhere. But I want you to write this down as my point number one, that appointment always precedes assignment. Before God sends you into something, he will always change your name. Before he sends you into something, before he sends you to an assignment, a new job, you're about to get married, you're about to have a new friend, you're about to start a new business, before you even start class, all of you that are in college and high school, God is going to appoint you before he sends you. I want to bring something to, like, like, like to your forefront, because this is something that I got f- from the scripture. To be a disciple is to be a follower or a student or a teacher. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, to be a follower or a student of a teacher, to be a leader uh, or a philosopher. So these disciples go from, hey, drop what you're doing and follow me, and he names them, some might say apostles. Now, my question to you is, do you know the difference in between a disciple and an apostle? A disciple is somebody that follows, but an apostle is a person who is the first successful Christian missionary in a country or to a people. The disciples haven't spoke a word to anybody. They haven't used their powers. They don't even know how good they are yet. They don't even know about the Holy Spirit yet. But God calls them what he wants them to be and not who they presently are. I want to make sure that you understand something today. The reason why this whole sermon series begins is this. It's for you to know God. But you can't know God without knowing his character. Your God called you a mother before you got pregnant. If you desired to be married, you were a husband the minute that you desired it, not when you got married. So we in the church, we show up to the party late. We start learning how to be a husband after we say, I do. And we don't prepare before. Okay. You say you want to start a business and we have a whole bunch of people that are woulda, coulda, shouldas, and they never do because they didn't realize that they were a business owner before they sent that paperwork to the state to confirm it. So when you are sick, God has already called you healed, even if what on the chart says that you're sick. The question is, is that we are unaware of what God has called us. So God doesn't call you to be broke. He calls you to have more than enough. But if you don't know that God's desire for you is to have more, you will live your life as a slave to money for the rest of your life because you do not 
No. Do you guys remember that scene in, in, in uh, Ray, the Ray Charles movie, where he, like, people were taking money and they were shaving it off the top and he didn't know about it because he was blind? Do you remember that? And then he was cooking that chicken in the dark and she was like, Ray, you got to turn the lights on. He says, wow, I'm blind. I can't see nothing anyway. I mean, that's not how he said it. That's just my rendition. Jamie Foxx killed that part. But then what does he do? He looks at them, and this is how they talk in the 70s. Look here, jab, turkey. And you got to do that. You see what I'm saying? Do it with me, Damon. Do it, jab, turkey. Slip me some skin. That's what they talk. He looks at him. He says, you've been shaving money off the top. And while he can't see them, the two people start having a conversation. Just because you don't feel that God is there, it might mean that you're blind to the situation. And because you're blind to the situation, the enemy is able to have communication without you even knowing. This is how your children get wrapped up in stuff and you don't know. It's not that because they're deceitful. It's because sometimes we're blind to stuff because we don't know who we are. So the, so the disciples have gone from following Jesus to being called to set people free, even though they've never done it before. They're called. Jesus calls them. He says, you're an, you're an apostle. Say, I'm an apostle. But you can't be called an apostle unless you've already done miracles. People have seen them and word spreads around. This is what I want to make sure that you understand. When God appoints you, the assignment is already done. We were talking about this in the office, Miss Nancy. When God anoints you, he gives you the victory of what he anointed you for. That's the reason when David was anointed to kill Goliath, it was easy for him to kill Goliath because he was anointed. This oil that you put on my forehead tells me I've already won. So that basically means I can do no wrong. We walk into situations timid, thinking that we've already lost, but we've been anointed to already win. There's some stuff in your life right now. You're anointed to beat it. You're just unaware of who put the oil on you. It's going to get good in a second. I promise you. It's going to get good in a second. So Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he does this thing. He changes their name. Multiple times in the Bible, God changes people's names. And when he changes their name, the name that he changes their name to comes with different power. The reason why you give your heart to Christ isn't to go to heaven. I know that's hard to hear. We're supposed to go to heaven. That's great. But when you gave your heart to Christ, your name changed from loser to winner. Your, your name changed from being broken to being whole. Your name changed from sinner to being righteous. So this is the thing. You don't need to be righteous, whole, and, and, and unbroken in heaven. Once you get there, you're taken care of. There's some stuff, and I need you to raise your hands. In the, there's some stuff in the earth right now. Like, you haven't seen Paris yet, so you can't die. I, can't, I, haven't, I haven't driven the car that makes people think and hate on me. I haven't got it yet. So, like, you hating on me without it. I want you to hate on me with it. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're going to hate on me, I'd rather be doing it in 10,000 square feet than the 2,000. You think this 2,000 is dope? Oh, you just wait until you see what God anointed me for, right? You can't stun on people in heaven. Look at my white robe, brother. We all got the same one, Jonathan. It's the same white robe, G. But on earth, the reason why you get married, Joshua, is what people told me, so that you could show your wife off. So when you walk into the restaurant, you send her in there first, and you stand at the car like this. Yeah, that's me, bro. Look at the rock on our hand, dog. Like, I can't do that in heaven. Because when we get up to heaven, our spirits will recognize one another, but there is no marriage. So the reason why you need to understand that your name has been changed is so that you can take authority here on earth today. Why wait to do what you could do at 80, what you could do right now at 35? Why? Why wait? 
to have the great marriage at 60 because you want to keep hitting your, just make the decision. Somebody say, I want to do it now. Mark 4, 35 says, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, what does he say? He says, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So what do they do? They, somebody say, took Jesus in the boat and started out leaving the crowds behind. Underline this part, although other boats follow. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. I want you to write this down. The storm is inevitable, but taking Jesus isn't. Storms are coming. Look at your neighbor. Say, they're coming. These hard times, the honeymoon time that you're in, we're married. Like, hard times are coming. I don't know about you, but when your hot water heater go out, it does something to your soul. When you step into the shower and it's cold, I take cold showers, but there's a difference between cool showers and cold showers. You know what I'm saying? It does something to you, man. It'll make you feel like, you know, like maybe I deserve this. Did I do something wrong? Did I, did I look at somebody the wrong way? God, you have brought this upon me for this cold shower. God, I apologize in the frigidity of the cold. You know what I'm saying? But the storm is inevitable. Your car is going to break down. People are going to rob from you. People are going to lie on you. People are going to manipulate you. Your best friend, not my best friend, Sarah. Yes, Sarah's going to lie on you. It's going to happen. Your, your marriage is going to go to, through a rough patch. I'm talking about myself. Like, your mental health is going to go through a rough patch. Like, every single one of us is going to go through a season of somebody scream, a storm. But the issue is this. The disciples made a decision to take Jesus with them. I want to make sure you understand this. In every storm that you're in, how many of you have ever been in a storm by yourself? And when I say by yourself, you walk into the house, look at your husband, and you're like, if I could kill this man and get away with it. Let me just chop up these carrots. You walk into your baby's room. If I could just... I could make two of them that look just like her. I could just, she just, I can't. Oh, man. You walk into your job and you see, you see him. This is how your manager talks to you. Hey, Billy. Hey, we're going to need you to have to stay and uh, work, work another double shift there, buddy. All right? <laughs> and you be sitting in your, in your office. This man knew. He knew I was about to go. If I could just, just unhook the brakes on his car. Make a great... Storms come in our life where we don't know what to do with ourselves. But the difference between us and the disciples is that they took Jesus with them. My question to you is, in your storm, how many, how many things did you keep on the boat and didn't have room to take Jesus with you? Okay, you're in the storm, but God, I need my sanity. God, I know that you'll forgive me, so I need my sex life outside of marriage. Oh, that's y'all over here. My bad. I didn't mean to get in your business. Okay. God, I need my alcohol. Then you pack your entire boat knowing that you're about to, you've already been appointed. God, change my name. I'm going to assignment, but I know that assignments are hard and all my seasons have been hard. So I remember the last time I gave up drinks. So like, I need Jack with me on new one. So God, I'm sorry. You're going to have to stay there as I try to do this by myself. The problem is, is that once you get on the storm, the only things that are in your reach are the things that you brought with you. So my question again is, how many storms have you been in and you decided to leave Jesus where he was? God, I don't need you. 
My marriage is great now. In the last season, the last boat I was in, I didn't have no water. I had no drink. All I had was Jesus, holy water, and, and a crumpet. Says, ain't you hungry? I got Jesus in this crumpet. I'm good. But now in this season that everything is working according to plan, now we can think, you know what? It's kind of like when you go on a trip and you overpack. How many of you guys check the weather? For me, I take two pairs of shorts, five shirts, two pairs of pants, and two pairs of shoes. Like anywhere I go, I want to carry on. So when I get on the plane, I get off the plane, I'm out. I don't want to go to no baggage claim. I don't want to talk to no people. I want to, how quickly can I get my feet in the sand? My wife, on the other hand, different. For a week, she watches weather TV. So if my calculations are correct, it'll be 70 degrees, carry the one, 80 degrees. But if I bring that sweater, it's two degrees hotter. So I just, just bring all of my clothes. And she, so you got me walking like this, easy. Then you got her carrying all of this luggage, but then she needs me to help her. That's how we look in life. Rather than knowing, Jesus, all I need is your living word, which is water. This is all I need. And rather than traveling light, we try to carry everything with us except for Jesus. But I want you to understand something. Jesus doesn't jump into occupied spaces. Jesus is not going to move what you have called more important out of the way to take that place. He's not going to move your pride out of the way to shake that place. He's not going to take your addiction. Oh, you're addicted to pornography. You know, I'll move out of the way. No. What Jesus wants to know is that when I call you, when I give you an assignment and I send you, are you good enough to take me with you? Jesus, God, how could you abandon me? And God's like, you left me. You ever left your passport at the house when you're at the airport? What do you do? Skirt! But we don't do that in life. We don't turn back around and try to get God. We begin to use the storm as an excuse to blame God for not being with us. Let's go back to the word. Do you know how hurricanes are formed? Do you know how hurricanes are formed? It says in the word that he takes them with him. Although the boats follow, but soon, somebody say a fierce storm came up. High waves are breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Hurricanes usually are formed during nighttime. I'm about to make a point here through the word. Hurricanes start at night. I don't know if you guys have watched Hurricane Richard, Ida, Betty, all of them, Dukumbu, all of them. Sorry, Pastor Dukumbu Johnson, you're watching from Lagos, Nigeria. I love you. I appreciate you. I'll see you in a couple weeks. Okay. All of them start at night. Because what happens is, is that when the sun goes down, the air gets cooler. The warm air that's out on the ocean or out on the body of water meets the cool air. The cool air touches the warm air and it creates, somebody say, energy. The energy will usually come in one or two different forms. Both of them spin. Either it will be a tornado, holla at me, Nebraska. We have a sirens and I'm so glad we've never seen them. Thank you, Lord. Or it'll turn into a hurricane. Because the sun goes down, it gets cooler, the warm air meets, and then there's a release of energy, right? So Jesus is at the end of the day. How do we know it's at the end of the day? If we look at Mark 3, 2 and 3, he's been doing miracles, somebody say, all day. He gets tired. So he gets to the point where he sends the people off, they get in the boat, and the sun is coming down. So the storm that we've been reading about in Mark 4, that we say that Jesus had no idea where it was coming from, he planned for it to happen. 
I can't believe this is happening. Why would God make this happen? Because he's looking to test you in this moment. It's easy to choose me when you have space. It's difficult to choose God when you've not made any room. COVID happened and you had no time for God. But now that Thanksgiving and Christmas is coming and you got to go be with family, now you want to come to family series. Please come, but you have to question something. Why didn't you take Jesus with you the last two and a half years? And that's not something to condemn you with. That's for me too. Happens all the time in ministry. You, you do a sermon series, you write stuff, I'll write a sermon, and I'm thinking, man, this is going to hit. Then I teach it, and it's terrible. <laughs> and I'm like, God, why weren't you with me? And God was like, you didn't bring me into your study on Monday. Why would I be with you in your sermon on Sunday? You only prayed to me Sunday 10 minutes before you took the stage. So you introduced me to the, to the storm at the end of the storm. So, like, I'm not going to try. This is the funny thing. Have you ever brought something to your parents in an emergency, and it's not an urgency to them? Mom, I can't believe it. Oh, my God. I don't have any clean underwear for tomorrow. And your mom is like, okay. Mom, this is a crisis. I ain't got no drawers. That's not my problem. You're 16. You should be doing your own laundry. And that's how God looks at our lives. God, give him to me. He's so awesome. Give him to me. He ain't the one. But Jerome is so fine, God. He ain't the one. But God, he's awesome. He's crazy. I know he's crazy, but he's fine, God. And then God says, okay, wait, what, what do you want? God, would you just give him to me? When is it my turn? Y'all's prayers are so pathetic. When is it my turn to be happy? When is it my turn? All my sisters are getting married. All my girlfriends are getting married. And God says, fine, take him. Then you get him. God, please take him away. He's terrible. God, I don't want him anymore. God, where are you? Why would you put this on me? You said you never put anything on me more than I could bear. And God's like, wait, Two, four. Carry the one. I'm trying to figure out the math equation where this makes sense. And that's how God looks at us. But the disciples realize if God has appointed us to a storm, and if he's appointed me from the storm, then I should probably take him in the storm. And here's the thing that's the coolest thing, is that the storm is inevitable and taking Jesus isn't, right? But there are other boats that begin to follow their boat. They go out on the water. They have Jesus in their boat. The hurricane comes, and you know that's the story. They make it through. But how many of you guys know that some people will never meet Jesus, but they see Jesus through what you walk through? All of us, everybody say, we're all in this boat together. Everybody got a boat. Me and my wife, we got a boat. It's cute. It's just us two. Uh, the Mitchells got, they got a yacht. Because mm -mm, there's like 50 people in their house. There's like three families here in Omaha. So there's like the, who is it? The Crawfords, Mother Woods. They all related, like for real. Not play cousin, like cuz, cuz. You feel me? Like they got a, a whole carnival cruise line. You know what I'm saying? They, they hit one of these. Woo -hoo! 70 people come through. You know what I'm saying? Okay. All of us are going through the storm in different boats. But the difference between your boat and your friend's boat that you're trying to talk to about certain stuff over coffee on Saturday is that Jesus isn't in their boat. So when you're walking through the storm, when you're floating through a storm and people see your ship not get wrecked, it might go to say that sometimes the best thing that can be a teaching of who Jesus is, is how calm you are in your storm. 
How many of you have ever met somebody that's prayed up, that loves the Lord, but their life is a living hell, but they're happy? They're walking through their son being convicted for murder in the courtroom. How you doing, sis? Man, I'm blessed and highly favored. But your son is like about to go to jail for life. I know, right? But I just, I just feel okay about today. Something, something just feels different about today. I feel like I'm going to get favor from the judge. You know what I'm saying? By the way, like, do y'all want some neck bones? I made a pot. I got two of them in the car right now. I got a fish. Like, and you're like, sis, we're in a court hearing right now. But she's different because she's not in the courtroom. She's got Jesus with her. You go to somebody's house and they got roaches. Somebody say, roaches. They got the type of roaches that, like, you know, when you sit at the house and you don't move, you don't want to touch something else, you just. Would you like a tea? I'm fine. Thank you. Hey, bro, I got some Rotel. You want some? No, bro, I'm good. They ask you to take your socks off and the carpet dirty. Be like, y'all, I'm fine. But they're happy. Which means, which means that being able to buy the fancy stuff isn't going to guarantee your happiness. Some of the dirtiest, most disgusting houses that you wouldn't want to be in, some of the marriages that you look at, you're like, I don't see how they do it. They got God with them. And this is the thing. You can deny what you think is authentic. But one thing that you will never be able to deny is when God's hand is on somebody's life. Damon, I, I can't blame. Joshua, we don't know how you're doing it. I do. God is. <laughs> this is my favorite one. Well, the church and religion thing doesn't work for me. <laughs> it, work, it works for your boy. <laughs> this thing called tithing, we be looking for opportunities. God gives us an extra, extra $100. I'd be like, ah, get it off me, get it off me, get it off me, get it off me. I'll be trying to give it to somebody else. Here, huh? here, 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 Timmy, here, here. God told me to give me that. that that's you. That's all you. Like, as soon as I get it, I'm trying to give it away. Why? Because this principle thing works. And there were so many different seasons that I had, Miss Nikki, where the only thing that me and my wife had in our boat was Jesus by himself. And we didn't see eye to eye, so we sat Jesus in between us. Hey, God, you talk to her. And she said, yeah, you talk to that Negro over there. She didn't say that, though. She didn't say that. She didn't say that. You talk to him. Hey, Lord, she's crazy. She's Latin. Talk to her. Speaking in Spanish. I don't know what you're saying. Speak English. Somebody said, take him in your boat. Mark 4:38 says, Jesus was doing what? Don't miss it. Jesus was what? I've appointed you. This is your assignment. Oh, y'all going to take me? Okay. Jesus get in the boat. That's how he said it. He said, y'all going to take me? Jesus was like, all right, I'm with y'all. In the boat. He's nestled in the back like this. Storm comes. They start panicking. Jesus goes to sleep. Sickness comes on. They start panicking. Jesus goes to sleep. Confusion comes. They start freaking out. Jesus goes to sleep. They say it's a divorce. They start freaking out. Who's going to take the kids? Is it your weekend? My weekend? You got to pay me proud support. And Jesus says, I'm going to sleep. Their friends in one season that loved them, left them, and spit on their name. 
they start freaking out. Jesus goes, Jesus goes to sleep almost as if he was planning on the storm to come. What would our lives look like if we didn't just plan for the good times? But we planned for, I know I just started dating this guy, but he's going to be a fool in about six months. Because every person that you meet, you meet their representative first. I hope you know. His ears are not always clean in here and around every time. He just wanted to make sure that you knew he didn't have no blackheads. See that brother in six months. He's going to be nasty, wide around his lip. He ain't going to put no deal. He's going to be musty. You're going to see he had those clean socks you saw. You're going to see that there are holes in them. Everybody, you see their representative first. And God knows that too. But God is the only person whose representative is the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. So when the storm comes, Jesus falls asleep because in his head, he says, I've been here before. But the apostles and the disciples are freaking out because they've never been here before. How many of you in the room are in a season of your life where you have never, I ain't never been here before. Like I had moments with my children where I don't, but I can't even like communicate with them. I'm in this moment where like, I'm more aware of my feelings, but why am I crying all the time? Like, I'm, I'm usually never crying. Like, what is going on? Like, I love my husband and my wife, but like, it's like we can't talk to each other, and I'm okay with it. Why is that? I want to make sure that you understand that in every single thing that you're walking through that you're uncertain, Jesus planned for. He planned for your uncertainty. He planned for you to get the bad news. He planned for you to lose some people. Granny passed away. I know I'm sorry, but sometimes God will use some of the stuff that hurts us the most to bring his glory to heaven. Our job isn't to figure it out. Our job is to take to God how we feel about God in the moment. It's okay to tell God, God, I can't stand you right now because he's big enough to take how you feel about him and dissect it with him. God is not hurt by your honest prayer. Let me move on. Jesus was doing what? Sleeping. Where? At the back of the boat. With his head on a cushion, this man ain't got no tempur He ain't got no cloth. He ain't got no cover. He do like you do when you invite your homie over, but you ain't got no bedspread for him. He take the cushions off the couch and put them on. He take the napkin from the kitchen table. All you with children, you had a little boy spending the night at your house that you were like, where did this little boy come from? He's sleeping the storm. And the disciples, what do they do? They wake him up shouting, teacher. Don't you care that we're going to drown? Now, they just watched Jesus do all of these miracles. They watched him give sight to the blind. They watched him cure leprosy. They watched him literally raise people from the dead. And they're worried about a storm that he already knew was going to happen. When you do not know who God is, you will think that he has left you in a situation that he's actually sleeping in. Jesus is sleeping in the place where it is the fiercest, where the pull is the strongest, and in the area of the boat where you feel everything. If you come with me and we go to a theme park, where's Caleb at? Where do we sit whenever we go on any roller coaster? We sit in the very back. Why? Because the back has this pull. It's crazy. It's called centripetal force. The second word that this sermon is being brought to you by today is centripetal. Look it up in the Webster's Dictionary. Centripetal force is that when all the other cars go around the corner, they build, they build up energy. And if you're in that last one, it goes like this. You get, you get slung around that thing. Jesus is asleep in that same area. 
So the disciples are in the boat and it's going crazy, but Jesus is in the craziest part of the boat, feeling everything, but he's still asleep. It's almost like he's trying to display to them how they should walk through storms. So they ask him what? Hey, bro, don't you care that we about to drown? Verse 39 says, Jesus wakes up, he rebukes the winds and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? They ask him, why are you asleep? He asks them, why are you afraid? Both of these questions deserve to be answered, but both of these questions are being asked from two different foundations. Why are you sleeping comes from fear. Why are you afraid comes from faith. My question to you is that in your storm, what are you answering from, fear or faith? God, I don't know how we're going to get this money. I don't know where it's going to come from. That's fear. Faith is, God, I don't know where this money is going to come from, but you've never lost, so I'm, I'm really chilling. That's faith. Look at your neighbor and say, there's a difference. I want to make sure that you understand that we serve a God that sleeps in storms. Why, why, are, why is Jesus sleeping? Look at your neighbor and say, why is he sleeping? Like, you would probably ask that question, too. We try to act like when we read these stories, like, man, I would have trusted Jesus. Bro, if there was no context, you would have been that thing scared, too. Ah! Ah! You would have been scared, too. Jesus, wake up! Y'all want to act like, no, the Lord's going to save us. You would have been, t- I would have been scared. Hey, bro. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> when you going to wake up, G? Why is he sleeping? Maybe Jesus was sleeping because he wants to be as close as possible to you while you're figuring it out. I don't, and this is just my theory. I think that God loves watching you figure it out. Like God loves giving miracles, but I think that it brings God a different type of joy when he watches you and your husband work through the the irreconcilable differences. When you start to use his words in the bedroom. Now I'm not talking about the physical intimate part, but I'm talking about the vulnerable part when you're sitting there like, I know that we don't love each other right now, but the word of God says X, Y. I think God sits there in the room and he sleep while you guys are having a storm because what brings him peace is when you work it out. Why else is Jesus sleep? Because Jesus is the master of every environment that he's in. Why would Jesus be afraid in water and wind when he created it back in Genesis? There is some stuff in your life that you're freaking out over, and you're the one that created it. And this is not a sting. I'm not trying to say, like, you're dealing with stuff that's, like, you know, your fault. But what I'm saying is you're standing in the middle of stuff that you're trying to get outside opinions on, and all you got to do is stand in the middle of the boat and look what Jesus says. Look at the wind and say, hey, shut up. There are moments we'll be at the house, and I'll be, like, hearing stuff, and, like, I'll be, like, having, like, these moments, and Vanessa will scream at me, shut up. She's not talking to me, but she's talking to what's talking to me. You could be in the middle of a storm, be looking at the wind, be looking at the rain, and somebody screams, shut up. Why is he sleeping? Then he asks them, why are you scared? The reason why they're scared is because this is the first time that they have seen Jesus do a miracle for them. It's different when God does miracles for other people. We clap. We raise our hands. We love it. But when you're the one that's in the hospital room and you're infertile, you need God in a different type of way. So the disciples know God through, through, through sharing through other people, but they've never learned about God experientially. It's easy to pray for faith for somebody that's going through a hard time. It's a different type of humble when you've got to ask somebody to pray for you in something you've never seen before. 
And we as Christians, we as kingdom believers are losing every single day because our pride is keeping us from asking somebody to help us in our storm. The biggest lie that you will ever say in the church is, hey, sis, how you doing? I'm blessed and I'm highly favored, knowing that you're in a storm. If I'm your friend, if I'm your friend, Miss Lawanda, and I ask you, how are you doing? And you tell me I'm fine and you're not, you can't blame me when everything goes to hell in a handbasket and I'm not there. Well, Josh just wasn't there for me. I can't believe that he would just abandon me. I asked if you were okay. Sometimes when your friend asks you, like, hey, bro, you look tired. Man, I ain't tired. I work. No, no, no. I'm saying you look tired because you actually need a relationship with rest. I tell Tina this all the time. On Monday, too, she has amazing, awesome ideas. But an amazing, awesome idea on Monday will be a circus on Sunday. So what do we do? I tell Tina every single day, Tina, you're doing too much. Well, I want to do this, that, and the other. I want ribbons. I want clothes. I want lions, elephants, and bears. Oh my! Like I want all of it. Like that's a great idea, but you're doing too much. Like you, you, you're doing too much. And sometimes we need people in our lives that say, "I know God told you that it's time to start the business, but don't start it that big." I know God told you to buy the house. I know you got the money for the extra six thousand square feet, but I have one question for you. Why? Does the 6,000 square feet add to your purpose? Or does the 6,000 square feet add to your personal pride? Why does the wedding have to be so extravagant? Why does it have to be so beautiful? Why do you need the people that love you to go into debt over the wedding? Does a $10,000 cake add to your love for him? When you go through your rough part in five years, are you going to be able to take that slice of cake to the argument? Talk to him, piece of cake. What? We have to defeat this thing called pride. And the reason why Jesus is able to sleep in the back of the boat is because he doesn't have pride. He's able to look at the situation and know, you know what, I'm bigger than this. And there are so many situations of us sitting in the room that you're looking at scared, but you're actually bigger than it. You just don't recognize it yet. Mark 6 says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat. We jump forward. We jump forward. Jesus, after taking care of that problem, they go do some more miracles, and it's time for them to get back in the boat. Remember, before, they took Jesus with them. But this time, Jesus goes up to a hill to pray, and he sends them, somebody say, by, by themselves. Late that night, late at night, means another hurricane is coming. The Word of God tells us multiple times that the hurricane is coming. You know in your life, the red flags in your life, when you know that something's about to come. How many of you know? Your friends start acting crazy, red flag, okay. Sue is going nuts, all right. You start trying to do stuff at the house and your fence blows over. Your water heater goes out, like, okay. Car goes out, all right. All, my, all four of them boys went out. I just bought them last year. Okay, what's going on? You can start to take little notes to know maybe God's trying to get something to me. Late the night. The disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was, on, was alone where? On land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. And three o'clock in the morning, remember hurricanes happen in the middle of the night because the, the temperature comes down. So three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them. 
The reason why he was intending to go past them is because he wanted to be able to observe them. I want you to write this point down. God is measuring your contentment in chaos. Some of the reasons why God doesn't come to you in the middle of the storm is because he wants to come close enough to observe if you really trust him to use his word or not. Your last resort should be asking God to help. Your first resort should be talking to the storm. What if we as people, when we saw the storm, instead of saying, Jesus, help me, we said, wait a minute. Hey, bro, you can't do this today. But they say it's cancer. I know they say it's cancer, but like, you can't, this can't happen today. I, I don't have the time for this. Well, Joshua doesn't sound spiritual. Sometimes you got to talk to the devil like Frank Lucas. Get out of here. I ain't got no time for this. Pasquale, break his legs. You got you to like, you got to tell the storm what you want it to do. You need to go somewhere else. And sometimes those words might not be saved. You feel me? They might be four letters. But if the spirit is behind it, you can say, hey, I can tell you, you need to get the heck up out of here. Somebody clap once if you're going to be bold. But when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Well, then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of loaves. Before the, this time, Jesus did the, the miracle of 5,000. You know what that is, the, the Captain D's miracle? You know, two fish, five loaves. Y'all know what Captain D's is? It's better than Long John Silver's. Don't at me. Fight me in the parking lot if you want to afterwards. Uh, but Jesus, he, he, he ends up doing that miracle, and now they are now at another opportunity to get it right. They were in the, the storm before. Somebody say it failed. Now they're in a storm now, and they failed again. Jesus comes walking up. He's hoping to watch them kill it and figure it out. They see him get scared. Then he gets in the boat. It says, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of loaves. Their hearts, somebody scream this with me, were too hard to take it in. Now, let's talk about something. Yes, ma'am. The problem with having Jesus in the boat isn't that Jesus is in the boat. This is the worst part about Christianity and faith and the kingdom and being a believer. Yay, Jesus, all that. Is that we think that because Jesus is in the boat, there will be no storms. You thought that when you gave your heart to Christ, you did it on Easter. Yeah, I want to be broken. Yeah, I want to be filled up. Take me, Lord. You thought that it was going to be smooth sailing. But then when Jesus is in the boat and we see the storm, the reason why you ask Jesus why he's sleeping, you're really asking him, God, why are there storms when you're in my boat? But I want you to write this down. God uses storms to develop your character. If I know how you'll act in chaos, then that means that when everything's cool, I know what you're going to do. This is the reason all you young people want to move out of the house. This is the reason why they're not okay with you leaving. Because you act different in chaos than you do in good times. It's, it's called the, uh, being a high schooler. If you're in, be in between the ages of 13 and I'm still there, 13 and 30, I'm 28, so I'm still in my crazy moments. Trust me, I get it. We don't have enough mental development to know that this storm isn't going to overtake us, so we overreact. They see Jesus in their storm as Creole, and they're like, well, if you're in our storm, if, if you're in our boat, why is there a storm? And Jesus is saying, I never said that storms weren't going to come. 
I just said that you were going to make it through all of them. Faith isn't your belief that it will change. Faith is your belief that he can do it. Let's go to the word. Matthew 14. Jesus has done this work. He, he, he saved them from the water. He was in their boat in, Matthew, in Mark 6, um, Mark 4. He does a couple of miracles. He sets them free. He sleeps in the boat. Mark 6, he sends them out by themselves so that they can try one by themselves. He's up on the hill praying. He sees them in a storm. What does he do? He comes down. He walks on water. They're amazed. But I want to make sure you understand something. That situation that you think just keeps coming back around over and over again, guess what? It is. Because God wants to make sure that you learn the lesson in the problem. The reason why you've dated Jerome, and his name is different, but he's the same guy six times over. You keep meeting the same guy in six different body shapes, body types, skin colors, because of the fact that God is trying to make sure, have you learned how to make the right decision? And until you do, you're going to get this same lesson over and over and over and over again. That's how you end up being 19 still in the sixth grade, bro. I can't pass math. Well, bro, you can't move forward until you realize arithmetic. As my granny would say, arithmetic with an F. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat. He feeds 5,000 with two fish and five loaves, Captain D's. Disciples get back into the boat, and they cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the other people home. After sending them home, Jesus goes up to the hill to pray again because he wants to see if they'll get it right. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting. Somebody say heavy waves. About 3 o'clock in the morning, again. Again, 3 o'clock in the morning. Again, like it's always at nighttime and God's like, yes, because sometimes I send you into places where you can't see me to see if you'll try to find me. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, heavy winds, three o'clock in the morning. Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him this time, though, they're terrified. In their fear, they cried out. Somebody say, it's a ghost. We're outside of spooky season, but ghosts, hey, listen, they don't exist. If, if you have ghosts walking around in your house, that's a spirit that you need to tell to go somewhere else. Our house is haunted. Mm -mm. We don't play that. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. Somebody say, I am here. Jesus is standing on the water in the middle of the storm. All the disciples are in the boat. All 12 of them are in the boat, but only one of them actually hears what Jesus is saying. All 12 of them are in the boat. Jesus says what? Don't be afraid because I'm here. But the only person that lays hold of this and takes courage is Peter. The way in which Peter takes hold of this is that he asks God, he, he asks uh, God if he can come out and walk. Let's go there. Verse 28. It says, then Peter called to him. What does he say? Lord, if it's really you, do what? Tell me to come to you walking on the water. This is the part. This is it. This is the, this is the whole sermon. Kent, I used to think that the miracle was that Peter walked on water. That's not the miracle. I mean, it's cool. Y'all don't cap. If you saw somebody walking on water, you'd be like, damn, that's tight. That's what you would say. Maybe not tight, but you'd be like, man, that's dope. It's lit, whatever, right? But that's not the thing. In our faith, the thing that should actually encourage us is that Peter had the faith to listen to Jesus and step outside of the boat. Like walking on water is cool right? 
Your family being healed is cool. But it takes more faith to answer God when your family's not good. Like, it's easy to tell the testimony of, like, how your marriage is lit and everything's dope. It's harder to tell the testimony of when you guys didn't like each other. So I don't want you in the room to downplay the moments where you put your faith in God like it wasn't a big deal. Look at your neighbor and say, that's the first step. The first step to walking on water is accepting that God will allow you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Verse 29, it says, yes, come. Jesus said, so Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. And what does he say to him? You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? It's my last point, and I want to teach on this just for two seconds. Is that all right? You have somewhere to be? This is my point. I want you to write it down. There is no way to without going through. Now, for those of us that are of the younger generation, I grew up with my grandparents, and the older church taught us how to, uh, how to tarry. Y'all know what tarry means? What, what is tarrying? Jesus, Jesus, yeah, Jesus, come, Lord Jesus, come, Holy Spirit, come, Jesus. And then they would say that you're speaking in tongues, but really you're just tired, and your words don't fit anymore. You're like, come on, come on, come on, come on. They're like, yeah, speak, speak. There it is, there it is. And you're just tired. And you're really saying, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I'm sleepy. And they're like, there he is, call him, call him. It's silly. And then as you're sitting there, Terry, and they're beating you on the back, call him, call him. And you're like, <coughs> there it is. Spit it out. Spit it out. There it is. Spit it out. <coughs> like, it's, it's silly. Somebody say it's silly. Call him. I want you to see it. I want you to close your eyes. You're in the boat. You're in the boat. See the wind? You see it? In your brain, do you see it? You, 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 you hear the rain? Do you, do you feel the darkness? And now, you've seen God do all of these different types of miracles. It's been amazing miracles, awesome. He's fed people, he's given them life. But now you realize that the miracles that you observed, now it's your turn to experience them. And Peter's inside the boat. Peter sees Jesus. Jesus says what? You know you can, you can come out here. That's what he says. You know you can walk out here with me. Peter does what? Peter's sitting. He's probably like what we're doing. We're praying. Oh, God, please get me through this one. God, please get me through this storm. Jesus says, hey, you can come out here. Everybody else continues to pray, but Peter hears the voice of God. There are some situations in your life where people are praying for things to happen, and you have stopped praying because you've heard God. What are you, you going to do, Josh? I don't need to pray no more. I've heard the Father. And while the other ones are praying here, scared, begging God to stop a storm that he planned to build them, 
Peter does what a lot of us are probably going to do today. He stands up. In the situation that he's in, surrounded by all of the stuff that's happening around him, but instead of looking at the wind and the storm and the rain and the boat, what does he do? He keeps his eyes locked on Jesus. In this situation right now that you are in, in this pandemic, it's easy to stand in the middle of what you're dealing with and take your eyes off of the prize, which is God. But what Peter does is when he hears God's voice, he does this thing that we call spiritually locking in. Can you come closer? Can you come closer? It's, it's this thing where as I'm standing in this, the closer I get to God, the less I see what's around me. You know how you do this? It's through prayer. God, I don't know. I don't know what's going on in this situation, I, I, but I know if I keep my eyes set on you, all this other stuff around me, you're, you're using this to make me. And you know what? If, if I look at all this other stuff, I can't do what I'm called to. I can't do purpose. But God, you slept in the last storm I was in. And in Genesis, you said that you made me in your likeness. Matter of fact, in Genesis 3, you said that you made me just... Hold on, wait a minute. Wait, in, in Genesis, he said he made me just like this. And you'll start having a conversation with God in the middle of your storm, and other people will think that you're crazy, but they don't know what you're sitting in the middle of. God told you that you and your family are going to be financially secure. That's a storm. You want to know what this looks like? It looks like budgeting when it's easy to buy stuff. It looks like telling your kids, you know what, we're not doing McDonald's outside. We're going to do peanut butter and jelly at the house. Other people might think that you're sinking, but what you're doing, you're locked in. What God told me, I'm staying right here. I'm not moving anywhere else. Is that anybody in the room? I'm not moving. I'm not moving. And how ridiculous this looks to you, I don't care what y'all think because you're not in my storm. Stop taking advice from people that are dry on land when you're in the boat by yourself with God. Well, sis, this is what I would do. You don't have a boat. Well, this is what I would do with my small business. Sis, you don't even have a savings account. Why are you trying to tell me what to do? Somebody say, stay locked in. Stay locked in. Stay locked in. Those of you that are watching online, stay locked in. Type it out. Stay locked in. Stay locked in. So Peter's in the boat. And Peter has to make a decision. Do I feel safe in the boat or do I feel safe in what God said? There are some people here in the building that God has told you some stuff that you don't believe in and you think that it's safer to stay where you are. But I want to make sure that you understand something, like the title of this sermon, that when you understand who the I am is, you are always walking in the eye of the storm. There is no way to have, a sto to have an eye if there's no storm. The eye of the storm, Miss Nancy, is that place in the middle of all of the turbulence where there's peace. And if Jesus is sleeping in your boat, you always have peace, even if around you is a storm. So Peter has to make a decision. God, I'm made like you. I'm just like you. You've already told me I can walk on water, but I have to ask this question. Do I believe it? There are some of you that have gotten a word from God that was definite. You have it on paper. Our word for this year is manifest. You wrote it down. You prayed about it. You oiled your hands, wrote it on paper. You prayed on it, but you still haven't moved. You haven't moved. Your family is still struggling because you haven't had the faith to do what God told you to do. You wrote on a piece of paper, I'm going to be the first one to, 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 to graduate. But fear is keeping you from actually going to school. And now, 
this is what our lives look like as Christians. Trusting God, going to heaven, but going nowhere. I know God, I have a relationship with Christ, but I'm not impactful because what I'm standing in is actually confining me. Jesus asked Peter, Mr. Damon, he says, Peter, the word when we look at it in the Greek, Jesus doesn't tell him to walk out. And you can fact check me because I talk about this with Pastor Martin. This is why I'm so excited. When Peter asks him, tell me to come out, what Peter is actually asking Jesus is, is it possible for me to live like you? When Peter sees Jesus walking on the water, Peter ain't worried about walking on the water. Peter's trying to figure out if I went to sleep with the storm, I won't have to walk on water. So Peter hears Jesus. He says, well, hey, bro, you want to come out here? Peter says, hey, can I live like you? And Peter does what a lot of us will never do in our Christian walk, which is have enough faith to step outside of what's comfortable. And we will live our lives like this, half standing on what the word of God said and half standing on what I think is going to work. And then blaming God of why our family's not going anywhere, why our finances aren't doing anything. God, my love life isn't working out. God, my mental health isn't working out. And God is saying, you haven't fully trusted me yet. I don't do miracles in boats. I do miracles out in the deep. I'm the same God everywhere, but I'm different out here. Those people that you think that God loves more have actually trusted God to be anything and everything that they want. I can't take these oars out here. What, what do I look like grabbing an oar out there with no boat? Jesus asked Peter, glory to God, do you trust me enough to give me your other leg? And this is where a lot of you are right now in the spirit. God told you something in January, start the business. Get another client, get married, get engaged. Hey, you're gonna beat the addiction this year. And you love God, but you're afraid to leave what is solid. Jesus comes to Peter. He says, hey, bro, you can walk on water if you want to. Peter asks a question. Peter says, hey, is it possible for me to live like you? Jesus says, what? Come on out. And we all talk about how Peter fell. You're going to fail to fall too. Somebody say you're going to fall. Yeah, it's going to happen all the time. But it's impossible to fall if you never take another step out of the boat. Do you see Peter? The storm's behind him, the wind, the rain, the boat, the rest of the disciples are there. And Peter just starts to take steps towards his purpose. Peter starts taking steps towards his mental health. He starts taking steps towards being whole. He starts taking steps towards actually beating the sickness. And these guys back here, they can't say anything because they didn't have the faith to do it. Stop looking back, soliciting people that didn't have the faith to jump out of the boat like you did. He says, I don't know if I would have done that. You're still in the boat. Stop talking to me. Peter starts to sink. Glory to God. Peter starts to sink. And we think that the disciples are like, see, told you it wasn't going to work out. But Joseph, if you read the word of God, books later, the person that they're laughing at, Jesus decides to build his church on. I wish y'all got this how I get this. Your family went through a season where everybody was laughing at you. You couldn't go on the vacation because you couldn't afford it. You couldn't invite people over for Thanksgiving because you got a rip in the cushion. But that season is over and all God wants to know is, are you willing to take a step out of the boat and trust me? Because here's the thing, in the book, in the word, 
The word walk in the Greek doesn't mean to walk. The word walk in the Greek means to proceed in the footsteps that were already laid. So when Peter's in the boat and he steps on the water, he's not walking on the water. He's walking on the steps that God already set for him. You, you think it was your ACT that got you into school? No. Uh-uh. Bro, you think it's because of your body and your money that she married you? Mm-mm. No. You think it's because of how well you work on the job that you got the promotion? You're not that smart. Trust me, I'm not, nobody is. It's because God ordered your steps. Every step that Peter took was already taken before he even walked out there. All we're trying to do here at AWC, this is all we're trying to do, is to give you the faith to step out of your own boat and take control of your own life. That's all we want. Maddie, that's all we want. That's all we desire, is that when you make big decisions, that you trust God big too. But this is what we do. We step out of the boat and we say, God, I trust you. But can I bring my insecurity with me? Like, God, can I walk with you and support my addiction and my habit? Like, can, can, can I walk with you and, and bring my pride? And for some of us in the room, some of you are willing today to actually have healing. Your cousin was murdered 17 years ago. You lost your grandmother but you haven't let it go, so you can't walk in freedom. Yes, you got divorced. Pastor Joshua, you don't know what you're talking about. I don't, but God does. And you can't walk with God and carry what he brought you through. At some point in time, you're gonna have to trust God and let it go. And watch it drift away from you the further that you get to Jesus. Peter isn't walking on water. He's walking with the I am. The word of God says that I am that I am. When Jesus is sleeping in the boat in Matthew 4, he's not trying to show how big and bad he is, even though he is big and bad. But he's trying to show the disciples, you know what? You can do this too. Y'all, I... I want to do so much right now, but I know that you guys have other important things to do this morning. I feel like there's like 15 people this morning that you're like, you just want to take a step in faith. You've been just like this for the past six, six years of your life, seven months of your life. Like, God, I trust you, but can I, can I bring this with me? Like, I, I trust you, but like, this got me through the last storm. My friends got me through the last storm and God's like, are you willing to leave them to get to what I have for you? But God, my depression, like it's, I, I kind of coddle it. God wants to know, are you willing to let this go to get closer to me? How many of you would like to walk in any storm in your life and always be in the center of the eye? Can I do something kind of weird? There's about 10 people in the room that need to do it through symbolism by taking a step forward out of what you've been thinking was going to help you out. 
and you need to take a step forward what God told you to do. Go ahead and do it now. Do it now. Do it now. One step. Take one step. Just, just one. Accept it. Accept the fact that God, that you're in a storm. Somebody scream, I'm out here. You're in a storm. We get it. Okay, that's the first step. Now let's take another step. But God, you're with me. Go on, take a step. Acknowledge, like you're with me though. You're with me. I know you're with me. Take another step. I know I'm called for this. I, I know. I'm scared. You're with me. But I know I'm called for this. I'm scared. <laughs> you're with me. But I know I'm called for this. And if we go back to point number one, if you've appointed me, then you've anointed me. And if you've anointed me, I have the victory. If you appointed me, you anointed me. And if you, if you put the oil on my forehead, Ms. Siobhan, that means that this storm that I'm about to walk through, I don't need this. There are about 10 people that want to meet me up here and you want to make a bold step in faith this morning. I'm going to meet you. Come on. I'm going to meet you. The whole point of this whole sermon series, the whole point of this whole sermon series isn't just for us to know who God is, but for you to be introduced to the God that's on the inside of you. I'll wait. Come on. Take a step out in faith today. Like, I want to live differently. I want to walk on water. I want to walk in the middle of the storm. I'll wait for you. I'll wait for you. I'll wait for you. I want to live different. I want to do this thing differently. Can we bring Miss Victoria a chair, please? I want, I want to do this differently. Right there where you are, just begin to talk to him. And it, it's, it's not weird. Just literally, just talk to him like, God, I want to trust you. I, I, want, to, I want to do it differently this time. Like I, and those of you that are out here, don't spectate, pray. Don't spectate. If you're out there, don't spectate. Pray for yourself and pray for them. Like I want to, I want to walk into the office. And when I see the wind and the rain and the waves everywhere, I want to be able to look up and see heaven. I want to be able to see you. Ms. Siobhan, is your team ready this morning? Ms. Siobhan, is your team ready this morning? Can, can you please come? This is what I want you to know. The eye of the storm isn't something that you have to travel to. You don't have to work through hard times to get to God. Look at your neighbor and say, God is in your boat. So all these hard times that you're working through are because you haven't realized that God was always with you. Miss Victoria, he was always with you. Mr. Vernon, he never left. He, ne he never left. He was just waiting for you to realize, bro, I'm, I'm here.